everybody, and welcome to the 36th ever Shut ever. Up and Sit Down podcast. A podcast all about board games, card games, all the other games you can play in your very own home. My name is Quentin Smith. And Hello, Quentin Smith. Sad opposite me is... Sad opposite you. ...the UK's second best board game reviewer. Do you think that's fair? Probably top 20. Top, at least in the top. Behind, um... Low double digits, though. Behind some of the people who just do it on Amazon all the time. <laughs> you know, those people who write Amazon reviews of stuff. Uh, Paul, we've got so Hi. much to talk about today. Have we? Uh, yeah, I'm just about to go back to London, so this is our last in-person podcast, but... Ever. In terms of exciting trips, you just came back. From Dallas. Board yeah. Game GeekCon in Dallas, Texas. In Dallas, Texas, where I had an amazing delays getting there, amazing delays getting back, but I was there for a while, and I played some games. <laughs> And had fun. That's good. And looked at some other games I didn't play, and um, mm. you were you were kind of like our nose on the ground, sniffing out the new hotness. You were an eager dog, and what did you sniff out for I us? I sniffed Paul? out Walk the Dogs, which is a set collection dog game that comes with real plastic dogs. Stay with me. It gets better, and right? I mean, you in line general, up all the dogs in like a line, but it can be a snaking line. It's just a line of dogs, and you collect, you draw cards, and the cards allow you to collect dogs from the back or the front of the line or take other people's dogs or just do things with the dogs and then you want to collect the dogs in a way that makes sets of the dogs so you can't just randomly collect dogs you have to collect dogs in such a way that you've created groups of dogs that are all the same dog but obviously everyone's ruining that by taking your dogs away from you with their dog collecting cards okay it's not that I'm not interested in Walk the Dogs game of the year would this game be as entertaining to you if it was not about dogs uh, there's a number of things it could be about and it would still be entertaining which includes yeah. a variety of animals mm. or um, <laughs> mostly animals mostly animals or like sort of British actors with stern expressions who were popular in the oh, mid to late 80s it, or, yes <laughs> yes or anyone in Gra- Game of Thrones who looks sad all the time yeah like if I could have like 10 Stannises in a row and the game is like oh that's 50 points I'd, I'd, that'd be like great best game hmm uh, well, that's good. Walk the Stannis. I'm glad that you played Walk the Dog. Uh, you also got to play something that I was excited about, though, because uh, everyone is talking about Vital Lacerda's The Gallerist. Right, which I did also play, and which was uh, through the, the grace of good friends who eventually managed to get a copy on the morning. The I got up at 7.30 in the morning to play The Gallerist. Yeah. Because that's is... the only time that we could get together and like try and get a free copy, and even then we had to ask a friend of a friend. Mm. Because there aren't very many copies, and there weren't very many copies at the con, and then everybody wanted the copies all the time to play it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and, this is this is not always a sign that a board game is stellar, and you know, you and I have like gone yes. full Indiana Jones and located the one copy in London in the past, and then opened it and been like, ah, oh, it's okay or it's bad. <laughs> yeah, yeah, sometimes this the industry's small enough that occasionally like the hype just gets ahead of itself. Yes, anymore. but so yeah, the gallerist is Vital Lacerda. So this yep. is a designer of uh, Kanban. Kanban of a European origin. Am I just making that up? No, Kanban Automotive Revolution, a game which I didn't like about designing cards. But he makes Euro games that are very uh, thematic, but also complex. Heavy, yeah. So the thing with the gallerist is actually I I liked it a lot more than Kanban. I I've played it once, so this is not a definitive opinion because I don't think you can definitively opinionize the gallerist after one play because that's ridiculous because it's too much happening and I spent half of the game 
massively confused, although by the end I came <laughs> second out of four people. That's good. So I had an idea of what I was doing. What do you do in the gallerist? Uh, you run a gallery, you try and get paintings into the gallery, you try and promote your artists, and then you try and sell the paintings for a lot more money. And the idea is to become rich and famous by running a gallery, by, you know, selling photographs and modern art and paintings. Can you sort of... Is there a strategy of just buying loads of bad paintings? There's a strategy of... I, I don't think it makes a comment upon the quality of art. As <laughs> that's a whole... I could do a podcast about this. Um, but you... That you would can, be the saddest podcast. It would Paul be... Paul Dean being grumpy about modern art. So for, grumpy. Um, but you can get stuff in that's not very expensive and not very famous. And the mechanics of promoting artists and making them more famous inflates the price of things. So walk me through a turn then, because this is all sounding like pretty abstracted. You know, when a game models a simulation yeah. this closely or simulates something this closely, sometimes when you're describing the game, it sounds like you're just describing running a gallery, which isn't enormously useful for me trying to get a feel of what the game is like. So sure. let's say I've got my gallery and what do I do on a turn? What get, Walk me through some problems. What, what am I worrying about? Well, first of all, you have a huge single meeple, which is like a queen-sized meeple. Looks like a queen out of chess. Is it like you? It's it's you, or it's what you're doing. Okay. Um, and you slam this down in one of four places to do one of four things, which is like uh, get contracts for art or try and get new art or uh, all these different things. It's four basic holes on the board, but... Oh. You also have a team of assistants who are sort of more regular meeples. Okay, like in Fresco. I haven't played Fresco. It's fine. We'll it's keep fine. going. Um, and occasionally these people do extra things for you. They can occupy spots for you as well. Or when you move your huge queen, sometimes you can leave one of your assistants behind and they wait there. Because the thing is, when you land in a spot, a new spot, you can nudge someone else out of it okay. to do a thing. But then that also gives the person who you've nudged an extra turn. Huh. to do a thing so you get a lot of slightly uh, having turns out of sync where you've had your turn but then someone jumps into your spot or a spot that was occupied by one of your assistants and then they trigger you doing one thing again one extra thing so as well as bouncing around the board going like I'm going to pick up some new art this turn or I'm going to secure a new contract or I'm going to promote an artist you're thinking about leaving assistants behind in areas where you might gain yourself an extra turn and you're also thinking about whether you're giving other people extra turns that may uh, make their lives slightly easier. Okay, so the puzzle is still definitively worker placement as, yeah. a, as opposed to oh, something yeah. that is like you're trying you are trying to figure out how to art. You are very much doing worker placement. Uh, you can unlock more assistance as the game opens which allows you to sort of plonk more people in more places. What do I get if my museum's better... Sorry, my gallery is better than yours? Ideally, you get more art in there because you start off with a couple of slots for art, which isn't much. <laughs> Two paintings. Uh, and you can do things that can unlock more slots. If if you have a really good painting in yeah. your gallery, if you promoted it to the point where it's amazing, that magically unlocks <laughs> that was, another room. That was so dark. If you if you have a really great piece of art, as in you've promoted it enough, that's then... that's how art works. Okay. Um, oh God! Uh, but you, at the same time, you have you have. Everyone has a gallery, and for some reason they're all next to each other, and there's sort of a nice plaza in the middle that has all these people. Yeah, I commented on this in the game's news. In my head, it's like... Because it's four galleries that are literally next door to one another. Yeah. So in my head, it's just gallery owners like having their espressos in the morning and staring out of the windows 
beckoning at each other. Well, they beckon all these different coloured meeples, and the idea is you beckon these people in, and they come first into your lobby, mm. where they start looking around. Okay. But then they come into the actual gallery bit, where they start looking at paintings, and they, they tend to score you actual points or money while they're in the gallery. Mm. Uh, and there's a chance that you might actually sell a painting and that that is actually represented by like a, a painting goes away and a meeple leaves which is like someone leaving your gallery with a painting to oh. go back into the plaza I don't know oh you go back into the plaza I think so I can't remember if that's what happens now but you need to the idea is one of the resources you collect is tickets and tickets are different colours uh, and all you need to do is grab different coloured tickets and then play them to move the different coloured meeples in because mm. uh, the meeples are three different colours and these sometimes give you three different bonuses or three different opportunities to do things What's that if they're in your gallery or in your library I don't know I think some of them are basically dealers and some of them are like art critics oh okay and some of them are people mm. uh it's, it's a little abstract. The implication there, because people missed it, just, that art critics and dealers aren't even human. They're just weird. Well, if you, no, we're not, I'm not going to go there. I'm not going to. I'm just coaxing you off this cliff. Just if you had a lot of money, yeah. And yeah, you no, could, I, I, okay, I what see. Would you, what would you? Oh, I don't know. I might give it to, I guess, some charities or work on a. I don't know. Create some kind of. Mm. I would create something. Oh, no, I don't anyway, know. Anyway. <laughs> oh, God. The thing is, uh, it's got this weird kind of pace to it where, you know, you have your turn, but as turns go around the table, obviously, you might get nudged out of a space. It's suddenly your turn again. Mm. And it's got this curious thing of... That gives it a sense of unpredictability, which I think keeps you really engaged or kept me engaged. Oh, yeah, it's the classic thing of you can... Uh, a lot of games will do this, whereby when it's not technically your turn, something can trigger an action or yeah. a bonus. Like, of all the examples, Twilight Imperium 3rd Edition does this, yes. whereby uh, you will be waiting for your turn, but then someone might trigger the war phase, and then you'll get to do a little ah! bit of war. Yeah. Uh, so uh, good hang on it was me... interesting I mean I want to play it again I mean I... I, I'm down I was saying this to you I'm down to try a really heavy uh, Euro game but oh you know what I've been <sighs> I'm tempted I'm torn between the gallerist and fast food mogul and fast food mogul is by these absolutely insane uh, people from the Netherlands and they've made a game about running like uh, fast food joints in a small town which sounds like super kind of like a like a fun little theme but does it uh, seem less heavy than the gallerist no it's more heavy that's oh, really? the ridiculous thing so uh yeah it's just like i'll show you a picture if i rotate the laptop uh yeah so it looks kind of like pleasant and black and white but uh, actually, that looks very square though it's very square There's, they don't care about art they care about uh strategies and it's just a huge box of food strategies incredibly dense Strategy relating to managing a fast food chain comes with little uh, soda, soda meeple, little wooden soda bottles as well. Oh, that's nice. And little wooden pizzas. That's nice. Uh, so yeah, I'm torn between the two of them. But but you, the, but, but can I, can you get? Do you, will we be able to get hold of this? Because getting hold of the gallerist right now is also. I mean, yeah. Like, if I'm being realistic, it'll be whichever one I can buy first. Uh, but. It wasn't your favourite game with a con. You loved Above no. and Below. Fa- Above and Below was a game that I definitely enjoyed the most. Um, and I did just did a write-up about, write about it on the site. Mm. Um, and it, first of all, I looked at it and thought, oh, this is like Dungeon Lords, because you sort of, you have an economy of you build things, but there's also some adventuring that happens. Yeah. Which is still a Vlada game that I really like. But it's more of sort of a bit like Agricola, where you get workers, you have a village... 
you want to get more workers so you can do more things in your village like uh, you, you build more buildings and they do things like they harvest mushrooms or pears or whatever um, and the more workers you have the more stuff you can obviously do in your village which is great because you want to make stuff because that makes you money Kind of like you're running a sort of a very fashionable restaurant that just mushroom and pear related dishes. Yeah, more more like a kind of a tiny yeah, a tiny village that serves a single artisanal restaurant somewhere. <laughs> but the problem with a lot of the artisanal things that you need in your artisanal restaurant is they can't just be found by everyday humdrum farming and, you know, building buildings that make clay pots and mushroom or whatever for your whatever those what do you call those pot dishes where you cook it in a pot uh, uh, what like a slow cooker yeah something like that casserole anyway you, you the casserole is one of those weird things though where it could be anything I hate casserole that could be that's ridiculous you might as well hate food the two things I hate are modern art and casserole and oh. I can't tell the difference between <laughs> them um but as well as this lovely above ground stuff, you see theme of the game above and below. There's also things below ground. There's adventures to be had below ground. And your villagers who might be good, uh, they might be good at recruiting other villagers or just building buildings. They're also all to some degree good at adventuring. This is the weirdest thing. Yeah. So you've got this worker placement building simulation game. And then every so often you stop to play a small choose your own adventure. It's a bit, yeah, it gets a bit Arabian Nights because you basically draw a card off a deck and then you roll a die and the card six-sided die and you'll get a paragraph number and you'll turn to that and that'll be your adventure and that'll be something like you're wandering through the caverns and you find a half-buried map do you What's attempt to yes well, i do i take it What's do you want to dig it out and look yeah. at it or do you want to go on without the map Why or do you want to do something know? else what's on the map paul and you get these different options tell me. and you have uh, a, a no really score. tell me what's on the map well, well, if you make that choice, it'll say something like, do you want to do this? And it's like, explore four, which means you just need to get four uh, four explore points. Mm. And every villager has a certain amount of explore points that they have or that they might be able to roll. They'll have a couple of dice symbols, and it might be like, if you roll one or more, which by default you will, you have one lantern, one point of explore. Okay. But maybe if you roll five or more, you have three. So when I heard about this... I my head immediately went to uh, a, a place. I'm gonna I put on my jerk shirt now. Oh, uh, let me oh. just take off my t-shirt. And, oh, there we go. Ah, oh, all right, Paul. Here's the problem. So Arabian Nights is known go for on. one thing, which is that it's basically bullshit. It like, is. I mean, somewhat nonsense. You will try and kill a man with a sword, and then you'll go into another universe and get a gold cup, and you'll go yay, and that's fine because the whole game is nonsense and entertaining. But if I'm playing a game and I'm competitive and I've got pear trees and they're better than your pear trees, mm -hmm. then you go into the dungeons below the town and this Arabian Nights element of it yes. just goes, hey, Paul, have a golden cup. I'm going to be furious because you didn't earn that gold cup. That was like random chance. Well, that's fine. <laughs> yeah, no, the, uh, adventuring is hugely random, but it does have a kind of push your luck element of you'll invariably have different choices about what you can do. Mm. And some will be like, oh, you can do this if you want. It might be good. Just have to roll a higher number. Okay, well, if it, if mm. or maybe because the thing is, first of all, you decide how many villages you're going to send. The more villages you send, obviously, potentially the higher explore values you can roll, but the less you can actually do in your village. So your pairs just sit there and rot rather than get <laughs> you points. Which I think makes sense. Okay. And then you've got the whole sort of pushing your luck thing of, first of all, you're deciding to send three whole people down. Then you're hoping you roll high enough numbers that they 
score the whacked out numbers you might need to make the most risky choices then you've got the extra thing of well you can actually hurt them to get better results out of them but at that point they have to go to special hospital special hospital where they're Is that not like gonna... a euphemism for a morgue <laughs> It's it's hospital, but it's just it's sad. Okay. <laughs> um, and that at that point you've screwed them over for at least a turn because you need to somehow make them better by getting healing potions or letting them rest for a long time. Okay, okay. So you can send them out and you can basically beat the crap out of them and force them to hopefully come back with something. But then they're ruined for a couple of turns <laughs> and you don't get to make pots or make paper or whatever. And the other thing is the more underground adventures you have, the more underground spots you open up in your village, which allows you to build more special underground buildings, which do generally more exciting things. Oh, cool. So if I explore a cave, then it's now like I can build there because yeah. it's... Okay. Because you know right. what's this there. Is, this is cute. All right. It's, it's kind of... It is random. Yeah. And it's very much about pushing your luck and trying things and sometimes they don't work and you're screwed, but it's because you took a risk um, and it's also not a game with a great deal of direct competition it's more like I will grab that building first before you grab that building mm. because you might need that which means it's not you know in that almost um, that kind of classic Euro gamey way of being very non-competitive it's about not stepping on other people's toes too much yeah which isn't going to appeal to everyone sometimes you're going to want to do something about what the other player does and I I fully accept that but also I actually really enjoyed having a nice time watching everyone around the table go on adventures I mean if we do do a full review of this I've got a feeling that I'm going to have a different attitude to you in some respect it's a free country you can do that. Okay, but so... But you'll be wrong, because you will you could meet the Moss King. If I met a Moss King, maybe I'd change my mind. Which is, like, multiple paragraphs you go through in different tests. I mean, if Agricola isn't a game I love, but if, you know, halfway through there was, like, a card I drew and I went off and had my own adventure with a Moss King, I would probably like it a lot you more. Might. I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. Um, it does also make me wonder that maybe all board games should come with a massive ring binder of adventures of stuff. just everything should ever choose your own adventure. Settlers of Catan, but just with a ring. Settlers like, of Catan, but like you actually meet the robber and romance them and, and yeah. you sleep with them, and then are you going to a cave and it's full of sheep and it's like you get hundred free sheep? Well done. <laughs> we should design all games. Uh, you played the final game that you were able to remember playing a board game geek on. <laughs> uh, I've got written down here: Stronghold Second Edition. Two point naught. So we know Stronghold. One of our weirdest video reviews ever was the original Stronghold. So here's a question for you: Do you st- right. are you still I excited? Ate ke- I ate a kebab and started hallucinating. That that wasn't the video. That's just real. It is in my like oeuvre to eat. Really, I can never what. accept that food has gone off, and I will just eat it. Really? Yeah. I had a kebab the other day that was ten dollars, and it was huge, and it had everything. <laughs> it, had, it came with like a plate of rice and hummus and pita bread and kebab and lettuce hummus. and salad. Hummus. Hummus. And it was really good. I couldn't finish it. It was so much food for ten dollars. You take it home. Uh, my, what was left yeah and then I just ate the rice put it in my mouth mm. it's good great anecdote <laughs> uh, um, Stronghold 2nd edition yeah. so if you imagine yeah so my question that I completely lost Would are you, you still excited about Stronghold would you play it again yeah no probably not really because, like, you were excited at the time at the time I was like yeah Stronghold's pretty cool but like I mean all games do age like generally speaking board games are getting better and better and Stronghold obviously isn't because it exists and it's a box and it's just 
you know, sat there aging. Dun, dun, dun. Uh, and it has problems, you know? And I think generally the longer I do this job, the less willing I am to accept problems in my games. Uh, whereas when we started, it's like, yeah, you know what? Stronghold, it's got problems, but it tries real hard. Whereas I think if I reviewed it now, I'd be like, no, it can't be asked. That manual, you know, it's, it's like a four-hour game and it takes 45 minutes to read its manual and then you play it and you almost have a great time, but you don't. And that is not something in aggregate that I want to go back to. So, how would you feel if I sat you down with Stronghold and I said, I've ironed out some of the things. If it was you, I wouldn't trust you. But if it was, like, the designer... I've ironed out a few things. <laughs> I, I don't have, know if that I is... I art is Polish, so oh, do your best. I think I was just aiming for Austria or something. Okay. Uh, and he says, I've ironed out a few things. I've simplified it. I've got rid of a bunch of the side objectives. Oh. All you want to do is make a hole in the wall with your army. We should explain. If people haven't watched our incredibly weird video no, review... there's no one who hasn't watched it. Which we can find. If you haven't watched it, get out. By Googling, shut up, sit down. Uh, Stronghold. Um, Stronghold is a very weird two-to-four player game. Uh, the most asymmetrical thing where mm. one of the players is inside a castle and trying to manage uh, a limited amount of time. Uh, to shore up their walls and the other player is sending orcs, goblins and trolls to all the different walls they're building siege engines and generally dividing their forces and they can take as much time as they want but in one of the weirdest rules ever every time unit that the attacker spends uh, like building a siege engine or casting a spell or whatever um, is then given to the other player uh, meaning that the longer you time you sp- the more time you spend preparing your opponent can just look at what you've done and go okay I'll spend the same amount of time Recruiting. Build, recruiting and shoring up my walls and building uh, things that'll like boiling oil and stuff. So it's bizarre, you know. You, every move you try and make gives your opponent a free move to counter that. In yeah, very strange. I, I like that though. I think that makes a lot of sense. It represents I mean, both of you investing time in doing stuff. It is the definition of putting theme before, like you know, game. Right? I mean, and the game it still works, but it's like yeah. If you came to me and said, "This is my idea for a game." every move apply. I don't know it's very odd but I'm excited about it Stronghold 2nd Edition is exciting you did make I liked it yeah because they there's a lot of extraneous victory conditions or victory things to think about in the original Stronghold which is to do with things like uh, the assaulting player who attacks with like orcs and goblins and trolls has this thing where you know if you've sacrificed a certain amount of goblins in a certain way you get extra victory points mm. um that, all of that is just gone. It's just the attackers have to breach a wall. Yeah. The defenders have to stop them breaching a wall. That's the game. Smooth down, which makes it, I think, quicker, a little bit easier. The board's laid out a bit better. All the tokens and the miniatures look nicer. Like, the archers now look like little wooden archers That's rather great. than... That's good. Are, they, are um, all the orcs and goblins still just cubes? Uh, I, I should try and bring up a picture. Uh, mm, I'll bring it up. T- fine. You keep talking. Um, but it, it, I, I'm trying to think if there's been another example of this happening. I guess you know we are seeing second, third, whatever editions of board games now. We just looked at Fury of Dracula, which was just Fury of Dracula but fixed. Oh, Fantasy Flight is so good at that, though, just fixing things. I think less it, other publishers have less of a vested interest in uh, repairing stuff. Although, well, I guess fair enough. you know what, these editions are a lot more uh, relevant for the big thematic games, like what Fantasy Flight put out and like Stronghold. Because if you're going to put theme first, then the game just might not work, as opposed to putting the game first. When then, yeah, hopefully the game will work. Yeah, I've got pictures. So it's beautiful archers, beautiful spearmen and heroes. 
uh, beautiful wall, all of it made of beautiful wood, and then the orcs and goblins are still cubes. Which is good. It, it at least means the joke we have in the original Stronghold review where I we'll talk stand. to a literal cube that still firm. works. And by cube we mean, yes, someone dressed up as a cube uh, for the purposes of our review. We had a lot more time on our hands back then. It's true, we Happy did. Happy days. Um... But, I, I mean, I was going to say, I feel it still still lends a kind of a feeling of great hordes of things coming at you. Sure, yeah. Loads of cubes just rolling up to your walls. But it might be that I'm just a bit more biased towards Stronghold. I like the idea of Stronghold. I like how uh, asymmetrical it is. That hasn't gone away. Mm. Um, the streamlining of the game makes it a little bit faster, a little bit simpler, and gets you focused on, again, just the, the thing of what am I going to do with this amount of time units? Um, which I still think is really kind of a cool kind of dynamic of this back and forth of oh you just you're going to do these extra things which take you time I'll do these extra things that take me time yeah sure and, and it's still got currency. the weird bluffing thing whereby you might uh, your opponent as the attacker you're just trying to make your opponent think you're attacking a different wall than you are uh, which is very interesting because you've got this kind of like floodgate system where all your units start in one of two places and then they slowly filter down like pachinko uh, towards one of the walls of your choice But and the, the defender is watching them going okay they're going to the right side of the castle they're going to this wing are they going to go left or right they're going to go left okay good because I've got a cannon there <laughs> Yep. Uh, so that's interesting. Yeah, you tell you what would make me want to revisit Stronghold Second Edition is the original Stronghold had mm-hmm. a exciting expansion which swapped all the orcs yeah. and goblins and trolls for skeleton bones and leeches and necromanticores. But you uh, say that. I mean, is that realistic <laughs> compared to the original? Uh, I sure. Yes, it is uh, because necromancy is real, kids. And uh, yeah, so it radically changed the attacker's game um, and made the church really important in the defender's uh, city, if I remember correctly. So I never tried that, and I would love if Stronghold Second Edition is good. I would love to try the Undead variant if they release that expansion for. Stronghold 2nd Edition. I wonder if they're going to do that. I forgot about that, and that would be a, a thing I would like to find out. I am scanning the... Uh, uh, the thing is, I guess I liked it. Now. I played Stronghold a little while back here again in Canada and enjoyed it and remembered what I'd missed about it. And I do like the idea of some board games coming out, you know, in a new edition, being streamlined, being tweaked, being slightly improved, because uh, you like you say you have these games that are a bit old they're a bit weathered and they don't quite work mm. and they're back and they're just slightly improved yeah I mean I'm down I like it it's sort of like a historical curation almost and I will agree that nothing in board games uh, makes me more angry than when a slightly rubbish publisher gets the rights to a great game and puts out an edition that is worse than the one that came before that makes me want to kill people that's sad it's a sad story uh, yeah Robo Rally being the key like my favourite game ever being in the hands of like Wizards of the Coast and they're just like fondling it and touching it where it doesn't want to be the bad touch pull and it's just so bad I, ah 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 uh, there's other examples too uh, but you know if if that if repair, if making a better edition is Go on. I feel about this the same way you do about no, art it's okay. or casseroles apparently. Um, but I hate if, casseroles. If, if improving a game, what's in there? And it's pro- just sludge. And providing a better edition is the equivalent of historical curation. Then agree with me, Paul. That take, by getting the rights to a game and then putting out a worse edition is the equivalent of ISIS tearing down historical sites. I think that's a comparison that is fair and accurate 
and good that's we live in a free country and we can say things like that i guess um I mean, that's if- completely thrown me. What was I going to say? <laughs> oh my word! Oh god, we played Porta Nigra. So this is me. I'm not, I'm not done. I was going to say something else. Oh yeah, oh, yeah no, I played the new Robo Rally as well a while ago. Oh yeah, it's it fun. was as bad as the other Robo Rally because it's just a bad game of nonsense. <laughs> it's just nonsense robots. It's like oh, I try and do a thing, and I this- used my ISIS analogy too early. Paul is <laughs> ISIS. Uh, moving on, we played. Oh, the keyboard, the keys have just come off your laptop. <laughs> Um, how appropriate uh, dear. we played Porta Nigra yesterday let's talk about that uh, we, that was good I believe a video review of that should be up on the site last week uh, but we can talk a bit about that and uh, a bit about filming it and we can talk more casually about it because some people only listen to the podcast they're idiots that's and true they're as bad as ISIS but uh, I'm into this can be like my new brand <laughs> Are you trying to uh, alienate our entire audience? Uh, I don't know. I'm tired. Uh, Porta Nigra, it's a game where... Where? You... Are in... Uh, Roman... Cities. Germany. Okay, Roman... All right. Anyway, uh, yeah, it's a game where you are in... Um... Horses. Oh, my God. You are throwing me off so much. It's a game where you have to build a city and all the monuments in a city using bricks bought from a central market. It's a Euro game. Uh, there's very little conflict in it. Um, but there's a lot of jostling for spaces. Uh, on your turn, you can do a limited number of actions. You can build brick, you can buy bricks, and then you can build buildings. You can uh, store actions for future rounds or get scrolls, which is you do special abilities. But whatever you build uh, is going to. Uh, well, you've built that part of the building. No one else can build that part of the Colosseum or the Basilica. And the fun thing about that is. Uh, there are all kind of sub-clauses for victory points. If I have the tallest Basilica, that's great. If I have the nicest part of that level of the Colosseum built, that's going to give me loads yeah. of victory points. So, But the problem is, when we talk about nicest parts or tallest parts, that requires more money. And so it's a game of just trying to outdo all your opponents only slightly. Jocelyn. Jocelyn for position. Jocelyn is my favourite lady's name. That's what all my daughters it's will be called. It's also nice to play a Euro game which isn't a worker placement game, you know? It, well, it's... Well, it's not, is it? It's it's a uh, it's a building placement. You have limited amount of spaces, so it's first come, first served. You yep. plunk something down. You're like, yep. right, I built that now. That is done. How good did that feel, by the way? The the, the selling point of Porta Nigra is that the bricks you're using to build these little three-dimensional buildings, and then they stack. And so if you build a three-level thing, then you put three of them stacked on top of each other on the board, and it's there forever, and no one can move it. And it looks quite... The thing is, it looks quite good as well. You start building all this stuff up, and over time, you get an actual thing that looks like a town by the end of the game. Yeah, and by the end, when you... It I, looked actually quite good. The line in the review I like is that, like a lot of Euro games, you still have to do a lot of adding up to figure yeah. out who won at the end, but, um, but at least you're adding up while looking over this wonderful city that you've all built together, and despite the fact that ooh, you built that part of the wall what I really wanted to build, still, together we built the wall. You know, like there's a wall up. There's- we didn't, uh, which is true. Um, we didn't actually necessarily think we were going to like it either, did we? No, we actually the- opened the box and were half of one and yeah, half I, the other one. I don't think this is in the review, uh, but like Panamax, which is another uh, pretty good European board game that Stronghold have published, um, it is surprisingly strong when the board, the back of the box, and the manual and all the marketing copy gives you no inclination that you're going to enjoy yourself, which is kind of a bummer. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, Porto Nigra, I read the manual, it just seemed so dry, and yep. looking at all the components and the cards, it seemed a little... 
and it doesn't even need art design it just really comes down to the writing of the back of the box and the manual like it was just so um, uh, clinical and yeah and I mean I remember you reading the manual and spending a little time looking at it and not being particularly inspired and the thing is the actual the core way that you play the game with these cards that you draw that you order possibilities and you pick some of them mm. uh, and that affects what you build and where so you know it's very much about you can't just do anything you want you have to make very judicious choices yeah and often you'll be uh, railroaded into like this turn you have to buy some brick or yeah. it would make oh this turn you have to build something uh, and that means that sometimes you'll do stuff that will benefit your friends which is fun for everybody at the table it's like oh I have to build so I have to buy this card which refreshes the card market which then makes the player to my left squeal because she you know like really 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 needed the card that came to come up and the thing is this um, looking at all of this in the rules this sort of core thing of constantly what am I going to do this turn how am I going to plan ahead can I plan ahead it's actually really simple the whole mechanics of playing the game drawing these cards working out what you're going to do is easy but the moment that you'd started explaining the game and we looked at the manual and we sat down with the board I just thought I'm not going to get my head around this and by the end of it it just seemed like the simplest game that made the most sense yeah it's funny it was just how it was portrayed yeah half of the manual a full half of it and this is kind of laudable is examples of play right so in the left hand column and this is Caverna does this as well although Caverna needs to do it um, the left hand column is uh, some text which says like the start of your turn check the market refill it you know it's, mm. it's the rules but then the right hand column is italicized examples so it'll be like Sally's turn begins there, there's a card missing so she puts it in and reveals this and now she can do this like it's examples but the examples are as dryly written as the text so the examples all read like people having a bad time it's like <laughs> Stephen would like to build brick but does not have any brick and so buys some brick but like but for the same amount of words you could if we're living in a dream world where manuals are fantastic and lord knows some of them are Czech games yeah. put a tremendous amount of effort into their manuals and it shows and it's so much fun to read I actually look forward to reading those manuals um, I probably shouldn't have said that about myself but yeah Porto Nagra for the same words it could have like um, Stephen goes to build this building but oh no he's run out of this brick luckily he sees that the, you know like that kind of language it, it, I made it sound super forced but poor Stephen it's <laughs> Stephen just I mean what is it in um, in the Infinity Rulebook uh, the, the super complex miniatures game that some members of Shut Up Sit Down have become obsessed with um, just like a small thing in there is that there's a there are endless examples in the Infinity Rulebook, but uh, often they refer back to a character called Fusilier Angus, mm-hmm. which is, I guess, funny to the... The, the, the name Angus must be funny to the Spanish, uh, you know, designers. Um, but whenever anything bad happens in Infinity, it is always, in the examples, it's always Fusilier Angus. It's like, Fusilier Angus has dropped a grenade. Let's see what happens when it, you know, explodes at his feet. Uh, type thing and so that's funny but that kind of yeah, thing yeah that's my rant about manuals over no it's it's fine it's it in some ways it actually felt like a nice light Euro game that was colourful because you start putting down all these Romans on top of buildings it looks neat it looks almost toyish sometimes as you're stacking plastic on top of plastic and wood and all of this and you go oh isn't this cute and I, that's not what's immediately communicated to me when it comes out of the box yeah and it I don't know. It's actually... There's a bit of maths required with calculating uh, card combinations because you want to collect sets of cards. Mm. And I wasn't great at that. But 
I don't know. It felt so smooth and easy to play by yeah. the end of our first game. Some color matching as well as just indicators. Definitely. What was your favorite bit? I really liked when you ran out of money and were swearing every single turn as I, you tried to scrape yeah, money, I money together. to move. And then I ran out Romans, which means I couldn't put Roman on top. So I, I could build things. I had lots of bricks, but I couldn't claim anything that I built. So I couldn't actually put anything down. <laughs> so I had all these plans to do stuff and my economy had sort of stopped because I'd run out of people. Yeah. Which is a thing. You know, you end up... You keep track of all these different resources like bricks and people and money, and it's fine. (laughs) (laughs) No, it is is fine. I get what you're saying. It's not too complicated. It's just, you know... Yeah, some Euro games, the objective is so distant and the way you get victory points efficiently is so confusing that you have to first teach players the rules and then they have to teach themselves how to play. Whereas Portanaga is just... Uh, here's what you do you get bricks you build every time you build you're going to get victory points and you go great and then it's the problems and the difficulties all come from flaws that you didn't see at first with your own engine it's like oh everything costs money that's fine I've got loads of money and then oh I can get money from doing this great but if you ever get greedy if if you don't take enough money then suddenly you're looking at the board going your horse grinds to a halt and also it's just like oh the only bricks I can buy this turn are beautiful yellow bricks wonderful how much are yellow bricks oh no (laughs) yeah it was uh, it was good it was good I I I am already missing it (laughs) you're missing a lot you're very uh, sort of morose this this podcast the tears welling up and Uh, pouring down my cheeks let's let's, before we move on to our folk game let's talk about another game that we picked up that hey you know what pretty darn all right Uh, (laughs) the duke is that how you feel you feel it was pretty darn all right well i know that you liked it a lot uh i did i did quite like the duke do you want to describe the duke which is i think a 2013 release with a quote from none other than tom vassal uh on the front funny that you mentioned vassal because it's about knights and dukes and (laughs) see the segue there yeah beautiful nice uh, that was a pun like Jocelyn was a pun because that can be a name but also you know oh, you I don't spell it the same I didn't catch the Jocelyn my pun. daughter Jocelyn Jocelyn never mind it's got an award from Mensa on the front do you want it, me to explain it no I'm I'm alright I'm on message there's some, dead, um, there's some dead air there this is what I'm asking it's fine okay so in the Duke you have uh, a board like a chessboard but it's not a chessboard it's smaller it's a Duke board it's a Duke board uh, and initially, you just have a duke and a couple of footmen, which are these square pieces that have on them inscribed the way that they move around this board. And if you move a piece onto another piece, it captures it, just like chess. And they're nice and heavy. I put them in my hand now. Listen, people at home. Careful. Mm. That's heavy. That's uh. about 40 kilos of wood. Ooh. That's nearly 100 pounds of wood. Yeah, you buy this game and it's, you know, like about $40 and all of the, well, 35 and all the money goes into these wonderful wooden pieces. And they're good wooden pieces. And you start sliding them around. But the thing is, they have a front and a back. So when you move them, they flip to the back and they have different movement instructions. Yeah, so an archer will move and shoot uh, or an assassin will slide and then go mental slide and slide a different in a different way. <laughs> yeah. uh, which is kind of cool because some of them have combinations things where they they sort of move and they're getting prepared to shoot or they they slip into position and who, then they slip backwards. Who was it that was the mental hammer dude who would like move a tiny bit and then kill everything and then move the, the marshal? The marshal, yeah. He sort of jumps into position and whacks things. Yeah. Uh, but the idea is you start with a couple of these, the rest are in a bag and you can summon them out of the bag next to the duke or you can just make a move, make a move with something you currently have on the board. Mm. And was it for the crown that we talked about a while ago for the crown the deck building uh, it reminds me a little bit of that because you start summoning units you start with not very much and it's about 
not having a board full of stuff. It's about having a board with some units on and making good use of them and occasionally producing more, which I think is tactically more interesting than chess because there's less happening. There's more you focus on. Yeah, no, I agree. Uh, and the, but it's it, also about having a smaller board and, and predicting and remembering what's on the backside of each uh, that, token. It, well, we played uh, chess recently and talked yeah. about that a couple of podcasts ago, which is a chess variant which randomizes all the pieces. That's for iOS, and you should absolutely get it if you have like an iPad. Uh, as Chesh with an Chesh. S and an H. Uh, but yeah, uh, the Duke is similar, except instead of like randomizing the pieces, you don't know what piece you're going to get. And yeah. then there's an element of having to, just like Chesh, remember what's on the other side. It led to a lot more goofy combos than... Uh, than I mean, it was fun. Fun is a word that is not... <laughs> <laughs> fun is a word that I would not often use to describe chess. Uh, yeah. But it is fun here that you will take a piece and... Like, we'll flip it, and then ironically, it will be the move on the reverse, which we've both forgotten, will be the worst possible or the best possible move. Yes. Um, and uh, of course, yours, uh, the fact that the Duke, which is your king, and you lose if you lose your Duke, uh, is so maneuverable uh, that kind of leads to its own hilarity where you'll have the Duke stand at the back, spawning, 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 create, 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 and then it will abruptly just slide across the board like an ice skater and kill a dragon. I, I love that he can only move one way each turn. He either moves forwards or backwards, and then he flips so he can only go left and right. Yeah, which is at once, like, uh, stupid. Really but... inflexible, but also makes him insanely maneuverable if you yes. use him right. Yeah. <laughs> He just the thing is you put him in danger and potentially he can escape to the other side of the board. <laughs> yeah, or he's which, screwed. Which is insane because yeah, we because all your pieces often have powerful forward moving abilities. So if the duke is summoning at the very edge then of the board, then things go awfully wrong <laughs> yeah. very quickly. Yeah, it was fun. It was possible to really get myself into some tricky positions uh and I like reaching into the bag and being it's a uh, footman. Uh, you know, but uh, and there's loads of abilities, and then the impressive thing is that there's loads of game modes in the back. There's mountains, so you can have terrain yeah. on the board. You can dragon. Have, you can play capture the flag. You can have a dragon who attacks people if they go near him. You know, and then you can buy expansions and all kinds of different pieces. And actually, people should know that it's actually been rebranded. There's a version of the Duke now called Yarl, I think, which is a tie-in. Oh. The A AMC did I, some American network have a series about Vikings, and they did a yeah. tie-in Duke version of that called Yarl which is like the game the Vikings play but it's not it's Duke but it's all compatible supposedly I believe you can play your Yarl set against my Duke set and you know or we can mix and match the uh, Duke is just very easily expandable because you just throw more tiles in the bag if easy you, if you get me very easy fun so I don't know I, oops I'm kicking the table I liked it I liked how much kind of lighter it was in ch than chess and it just had a lot more going on maybe I'm just so bored of chess and knowing that everything will move one well, space I really like Tashkalar in terms of these abstract moving abstract bits on a grid yeah. I, I would love the opportunity to play more Tashkalar I think Tashkalar is absolutely phenomenal Mustache Kalar. I kind of just play these games and they just make me want to play more Tashkalar that's alright that's fine yeah that's fine I think my dream game would probably be something like the nice wooden components of uh, the Duke Ooh. but in a beautiful Tashkalar that's the set. thing that Tashkalar doesn't quite have is it got upgraded recently the new edition of Tashkalar has nicer components and you can buy an upgrade kit I think it's like thicker cardstock and nicer art design Ooh. Uh, yeah so mm. Mm. I should find a Tashkalar buddy and then just, just play with my buddy you and he were buddies we, you? is it worth talking briefly about Looping Chewy Yes. Because we just have not done that, miraculously, despite it being the best game at FFG Worlds. Um. 
the game that certainly the most people played uh, apart from Netrunner which 500 people played yeah uh, Lupin yeah and also it was it's popular at the Volunteers Lounge at GDC Loop, Lupin Chewy I think <laughs> in, aggr- in aggregate I think gets played more than any other game at board game I conventions I think that's because it just requires you sitting there and getting angry with people for a short period it's, it's quick <laughs> and stupid it's like, but we should talk about it in as much as it is a part of the culture now, at least temporarily. And the noise it makes. Oh god! <laughs> yeah. Uh, so Lupin Chewy, previously Lupin Louie, it's basically the same game, but Lupin Louie, Lupin Louie is of higher quality and supports four players. Um, is a tiny motor that is attached oh. to a man on like a shitty plastic. Plane. Yeah, the plane. Millennium Falcon. Yeah, the the plane is attached to like a, a sort of a crane, a lever though. Yeah. And everybody has a series of discs in front of them, and left to its own devices, the crane will go in a circle uh, and knock, like will buzz all the discs in front of you, which are your lives, and knock them down one after another. But you have a kind of lever that I would compare to like the lever on a pinball machine, except yeah. it flicks things vertically instead of sideways. So when the plane, when Chewie or Louie comes near, you can press a button, hungry, hungry hippo style, and launch the plane into the air. Uh, hopefully coming down just at a difficult angle so it'll knock your opponent's disc without being able to hit it and that's the entire game it's hungry hungry hippos but like vertical and about protecting yourself kind of and everyone plays it all the time I don't know Paul I think there's magic to Loop and Louie okay you so go on no it's fine go on finish no well, it's just finish I know you're saying it requires very little energy but left in no. a room by myself I would find myself turning on the motor and just playing one click, player, click, just getting practice. Click, yeah, you find me doing this. Click, click. Uh, well, it's fun. You get to sit around with a bunch of people, and there's an unpredictability to when Louie and or Chewie will come back down. Because sometimes he just does a little bump in the air when you knock him. Sometimes he flips. Sometimes he does a full 360, and he comes back right down in front of you. Yes. Coming straight for you again. That's funny. And you can't always predict what's going to happen. And there is skill involved in timing... Your your diversions of him and different things can happen depending on what you do. Yeah. What I want to know is why you're more excited about this than a game that actually requires brain power, where you carefully what, collect you the dogs. Duke. Oh, the dog. And line the dogs up, mm. or take other people's dogs. Okay, which is much more, you know, like, like maybe like a rudimentary card game, but it is a game where there is. I mean, set collection strategy we can go here I am worried that our audience will have like in the last half an hour forgotten that you mentioned Walk the Dogs was like your favorite I hope they remember of, it you showed me a picture of Walk the Dogs it's got so many dogs and, I don't, and they're plastic and they're loads and loads of big plastic dogs and there's no way they can ship that that's not a viable like economic prospect it, right? It, it exists and the dogs are in the box I'm googling this now what is all I'm saying. Dog. Could is it is it seriously just a card game with shitloads of plastic dogs? <laughs> oh great, I'm tired enough that I googled walk the dog as if that would not take me to board what? game. What did it take you to? It took me to the urban dictionary definition of walk the dog. Oh no, is it bad? I didn't read it. Alright. <laughs> walk the dogs 2005 includes 63 miniature dogs in wow. seven different reads <laughs> it has more miniature dogs than cards it has one quote doggy bag end quote right yep uh, two score sheets it has a score sheet that's not a good sign and hang on it has one instruction booklet and one quote fun memories t- trademark booklet so 
you buy this yeah. obviously if you I'm not saying that we have to buy this but well, you buy good, this we won't. those dogs can well. be used for anything in any other game <laughs> think of it's Dude, like when huge. you buy miniatures and you're like oh but I could use these miniatures in D&D as well as in this board game it's like those dogs could be um I'm listening. They could what be could dogs be? in a game of Descent. They could be dogs in a game of Imperial Assault. They could be dogs in... You could replace all of your ships in Cosmic Encounter with dogs. And yeah, say, you know, <laughs> I'm going to take... Uh, this turn, I take two dogs from the warp, and I've got a dog on your planet. You would like... I would like... I want to do this now. Do you know, I was at Board Game Geek Con, and um, I was being taught Dungeon Roll by a very nice man. Uh, uh, who who was teaching me in the board with life guys actually, mm-hmm. and uh, and at one point he uh, he was putting out the little standees to, to represent your adventuring party, but he said like oh but now I've got something better and he reached into his pocket and got a freebie customized meeple he got that I think looked like Darth Vader or a stormtrooper, mm-hmm. uh, and he replaced the standee with with his little meeple, so it was a stormtrooper in a dungeon, and Paul I got so angry. <laughs> Uh, because because it, because there shouldn't be stormtroopers in a dungeon. There should be an adventuring party in a dungeon, and the art design clashed because they weren't done by the same artist, and so it stood out. And all I'm saying is, if if you put dogs, if you replaced all your spaceships in Cosmic Encounter with dogs, yeah, it would, everyone would love it. They would, yeah. except me. I'd be angry, but I wouldn't show it. I'd be like, <laughs> oh yeah, oh that's fun. <laughs> Oh, but actually, um, you'd be ruining ruining the aesthetic of my child's board game, Paul. Chess with dogs. I mean, that could only improve it. I heard that after our being really excited about Nightmare Chess on the podcast, uh, mm-hmm. I heard that Nightmare Chess is actually less fun and takes ages. Uh, I got that was some scuttlebutt I picked up. Anyway, mm-hmm. we're, we're talking nonsense now. Let's move to everyone's favourite feature of the podcast. We should really have a jingle for this. It's the folk game of the month. Go on. If anyone at home on. Is, would like to make us a really brief, sharp radio jingle uh, for folk game of the month, I will consider using it. <laughs> that's that's a promise. Um, you ready for this, Brawl? No. Brawl. Drew Pritchard writes, and I'm going to truncate this because it's very, very long. Uh, hi guys, I've been enjoying your website for a long time now and I just wanted to say uh, blah 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 uh, <laughs> Thank you Drew uh, <laughs> I was made aware of this phenomenon that was spreading back into popularity from its originally dwindling standing in the history books Knife Games uh, uh. He has two suggestions, the first one is simply called The Knife Game um, and people at home may be aware of this, it's the game where you... It's otherwise known as Five Finger Fillet. No, that's not a board game. It's not a board... It's a folk game, though. It's... All right. Uh, where That's where you spread your five fingers out it's as wide as you can. Pe- I don't. Other people do. <laughs> and then you stab between the fingers. You go between thumb and index finger. Then you go between index and middle. Then you go back to thumb and index. Then you go middle and ring finger. So you're bouncing the knife like bam, 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 bam. But hopefully not that fast unless you're a professional. You might know it from Aliens 3. Where Alien 2. Aliens. 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 Is it aliens? Aliens where Bishop, who isn't a bishop, does it. Yeah. He's a robot. He's a robot. Uh, yeah, he does oh, that. Oh, we spoil that. 
Is no, that... it's no, it's fine. It's in the opening scenes. They talk about it. Good. Uh, so he also refers to um, a second game known as Mumbly Peg, which I'm going to walk you through in a minute, Paul. Uh, but <laughs> Drew writes, I personally find these interesting because they were most likely developed during a time when knives were considered standard tools to be carried around with a person at all times. Mm. And yet, whether by morbid fascination or by the inherent machismo that could be gleaned by playing, these games have managed to last through an era where the majority of us think that having a sharp knife on you at all times is an unnecessary risk. That sort of brings me to wonder that if there were more knife games out there, but these are the only two I could find because their appeal was strong enough to keep them around while others weren't. Which makes me wonder if, like, can knife fighting, like just fighting with a knife, be called a knife game which didn't have enough appeal to last? Uh, there are. Thank you, Drew, though. This is, I find this very interesting. There, uh, there, there, are, there are problems with knife fighting. There are reasons why you might not have a good time. Yeah, there's one big reason. Uh, my dad was was about 80 when he passed recently he was very very old uh, and but he was of a generation and he carried a knife with him when he yeah. went travelling and he played with it a lot and liked mm. playing with it it's just a thing so um, Mumbly Peg Paul is a game which has a uh, the simple version is we each have a knife uh, and you can you got to review this at, give it the full child to sit down treatment okay <clears throat> so the basic version of num- Mumbly Peg is that I will throw my knife at the floor in a sort of throwing gesture and have to get it as close to my foot as possible. And then you will throw your knife at your foot and try and get it as close as possible. And the winner is the person uh, who gets it as close as possible. Uh, Theartofmanliness.com says about this, quote, a player could automatically win if he purposely stuck his knife... And I like that he assumes it's a he because Lord knows women wouldn't be this stupid. A player could automatically win if he purposefully stuck his knife into his own foot. What can we say? This was a time before Xbox 360. Uh, so now we move on to Mumbly Peg's American Boys Book of Sports Edition. Now, oh, God. Now, what we've got here, though, is basically there are, rather than the whole foot thing, which is dangerous, this wants you to do 24 trick tosses, kind of like horse, where I'll do the easy one, then you do the easy one, then I do a harder one, and you do the hard one. And I'm just going to let you scroll down with a knife through the pictures of these. Oops. Uh, I'm feeling very self-conscious about the gendered comment I made earlier. Of course, if women want to uh, throw knives at their feet... I'm sure they were, if you know they may well feel so inclined and may well be stupid to do that. Uh, Paul, what do you think of these pictures? Leaving it silent on the podcast, that's good. Place uh, the point of the blade on the top of the head. Yeah. Hold it in place with the forefinger and with a downward push, send it towards the earth where it must stick with the point of the blade in the earth. Well, yeah, I mean, before video games, this was what you do. Hold the point of the blade between the first and second fingers and, holding the hand near the forehead, flip the knife back over the head so that it sticks on the ground behind you like so. Yikes. This is... Is this middle of the pack? Do they get harder? This this is near the bottom because there seem to be ones where... Some of them, you probably wouldn't hurt yourself at all because they just involve things like um, throwing it behind you mm. or, uh, you know, you're holding it in a way that it's not going to hurt you and then you're throwing it away. But it depends whether it's going to hit the ground, you know, dig into the Stick ground into or not. Stick into the ground, yeah. But it also does remind me of uh, that thing that when when you are a kid and you read things that kids from the previous generation read, <laughs> as I occasionally, it's like I don't know, it's like Commando comics or something in the eighties that were published in the sixties, where it's just. You look at them and you're like, hmm. Uh, well, that's that's just fine. I don't do that. That's, wow, I live in a different time. Did people do that? That seems unusual. 
I like mean, I don't know just stories that my parents would have or my parents generation of like well you know I shouldn't but I learned to drive when I was eight and I would just drive sometimes for fun <laughs> and then me thinking driving at eight that's interesting I wonder what that was like I mean we've been covering folk games for a while it's always like oh here's a bit of fun and we're critiquing them critiquing them this I feel like is the first one we've covered where I mean this is the most ludicrous but also to me the most interesting because this is a whole culture that we're tapping into here this is a whole kind of folk gaming that was done enough that like my dad used the term mumbly peg and carried knives and there's you know knife games that we can find and all this stuff uh, that's just vanished like and I guess if what's interesting about folk games is that they stick around or they're passed from person to person then it must be similarly interesting when a folk game disappears and why that is maybe maybe yeah I mean I, some of these I think disappear because they 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 come from an age of different responsibilities and priorities and sure. we, we, we just do more sensible things nowadays <laughs> I, I think some of it is that we're, it's the same for uh, we try and eat more sensible things and sure. we try and conduct ourselves more sensibly but um, you must have an interest in well hmm I want to get past your sort of like naysaying exterior because you do do sword fighting right this is a, a big hobby of yours yeah yeah so I mean there is there must be some part of you that is at least vaguely interested in like carrying a blade in that very weird way Carrying? Well, using, wielding. Like, my dad was never interested in a knife because a knife was an intrinsically cool object. He was interested in what you could do with it. He was interested in the fact that he could still, into his old age, throw a knife at a bit of grass 12 feet away and it goes into the ground. Yeah, mumbly peg style. Uh, I I don't know how to describe it. It's uh, obviously we don't use sharp weapons and they're blunted. And the idea is to, it's a, I guess it's it's a it's more of a sport thing. I mean, the idea is you try and get around another person through um, deftness of movement and quickness of mind. Yes, but is it a not bit like playing Prashido Blade? But when you are carrying a sword and sword fighting with someone, is, are you not also tapping into the part of your brain that thinks, "Oh, this is awesome." I've got a yeah, sword. Yeah. I'm, you know, like the Highlander. That's what I would be thinking all the time. In a French coat. Yeah. Um, now I'm just thinking about Highlander and all the Queen in the film and all the things that happen mm. and all of the lines. <laughs> and Your brain is processing the entire movie, The Highlander. Because I watched it so much when I was a kid. Mm. Um, I don't know, but it's it, it's also... The thing with fencing is it's done, it's taught so sort of rigorously, or the fencing I do, and it's taught with so much emphasis on discipline um, and you are following professionals who tell you what to do and how to do things and everything is done in a way that's uh, very safe to sort of minimise injury and minimise any chance of sort of bad things happening. It's about sort of discipline and practice and what's the word I'm looking for? It's very, I don't know, it's very controlled. Okay, but still, all those skills... You Which de- is nice. All those skills you describe, outside of the controlling, you're interested in this, that this is like an activity that is like mind and body related, right? Yes. So, but that's what mumbly peg and all these tricks are. 
Like, if you were to do a mumbly-peg trick in a safe way, Lord knows it's not possible. Well, I guess you could uh, try and do it with, like, you could wear steel-capped boots and have a kind of a blunted knife so yeah. it will stick in the ground, but it's not going to stick in your foot. Or you could play five-finger fillet, fillet, whatever, with, you know, a stick or yeah. a drumstick, and that's the same, you yeah. know, skill. and I, I guess that's true, and you'd still be, you'd be doing the same thing. There wouldn't be the element of danger. I mean, there are... Th- occasionally I think people who fence with sharps by which they mean actually sharpened weapons mm. in very specific situations but pretty that just never happens when you go to class because it's just it's not what you do it for and it's unnecessarily risky and I guess you could do stuff like this without as they say sharps you could try and do the knife tricks just not with a you could do it with a stunt knife like we have in class which are just like plastic things this or- has piqued my interest I'm not going to get a blunt knife and I'm not going to try and do any of these tricks but next time you record a podcast I'm Ooh. going to have studied these because okay. if if knives like okay let's put it this way you ever look at pictures in the 50s and everyone's wearing a hat yeah like uh like everyone is wearing a hat yes very uh, common and if if knives were something similar in the early 20th century whereby everyone would carry a pocket knife just because it's a considered a useful or utilitarian object and mm. part of your you know like assembly and then if as a consequence of that there's a whole culture of knife games if they have all been lost because no one carries a knife anymore i want to poke into this and see if some of them are of merit or interesting or cool okay like uh, yeah see let's make sure that game design is not lost to history Maybe I maybe I will maybe I'll learn like one cool knife trick. You know, that's well, that's fine. Um, And I think probably if that's done in a safe kind of way, that's okay. What if I start carrying a knife again? I keep and a hat. You could you be arrested? Well, it depends where you are and what the rules for it are. Carry a knife around my house. You could um, do that. I, I don't know. There's different rules in different places. I'm so excited. I've just dropped my phone. Do you have anything to say before we wrap this podcast up? Um, I feel like I've been really excited about knives and you've just been very sedate about the subject of knives. I've been very sedate. I've been excited about dogs. Yeah. I've been moderately excited about Stronghold. I've not been very excited about ISIS. Yeah. Um, or and on, knives. And on that note, well, nice, nice to end on a summary at least. Thank you very much for listening, everybody. <laughs> if you do, oh no, we should do the things to say at the end of the podcast. We should oh. say uh, that if you have a folk game or message or anything for the Shut Up and Sit Down podcast for us to discuss, mm-hmm. uh, and you want to make it read out in its entirety, keep it short and send it into uh, the address hidden. Hidden, be keeping us away from all the emails. Hidden at the bottom of shutupandsitdown.com. And if you enjoy this podcast, then you can upvote it on iTunes, or you can post it on Reddit and upvote it on Reddit. Or if you enjoy anything that you that we do, you can tweet about it or upvote it on Reddit. Basically, I'm trying to get upvotes on Reddit because I don't even care about Reddit that much. But basically, if you like a thing, tell people because other people then will know, and it will be shared. And like um, butter will spread across the toast of the internet until everyone can take a bite. Yes, of course, if you really like what Shut Up Sit Down does, you can throw a dollar to the Gold Club every month and join the uh, literally, I don't know, hundreds of people that do that. do that. Uh, but if you, if you don't have money, then why not just post on your board game group's Facebook page? That'd be great as well. Thank you. Gosh. Either of those things is great. And just people sending a couple of dollars a month is actually lovely. And you can tell them that they'll probably, but not definitely, be less references to uh, ISIS next episode. Thank you very much for listening, everybody. That's what you're supposed to do, isn't it? Mock the people who are bad. Yes. Is it? I don't know. Bye. Bye. Bye.